Hello team, it's Pam here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now and that is what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place with positive impact marketing but putting purpose and results first? If you want to find out, then come and join us for the Alt Marketing Certification. Our six-week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of All Marketing School certification. Hello and welcome to Make an Impact Show, a podcast run by Creative Impact Co. Our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories via outstanding content. Good morning, world. I was going to shout, but I didn't because I'm learning that the decibel go really high when I start talking too loud at the beginning of a podcast and then people get scared. Good morning, Amy and world. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? I am great. I think I'm becoming more professional. Again, not destroying eardrums of people uh, early in the morning, most likely. Um, guys, one second. <clears throat> the the true life of uh, the seasons changing. Everybody will know by now. We're pretty much recording as this podcast is going out. So the podcast itself, which I'll tell you a bit more in a second, guys, this has actually been recorded a couple of months ago. But obviously, now we are giving you a bit of an introduction and it's October. So everybody probably feels the chills and the cools. Now, Ames, today we are going to meet the lovely Anna Rachel. And Anna and us as Creative Impact work together multiple times. She helped us with photography at some of our events. Mainly we did a workshop together as well a couple of years ago. So I personally love her. And um, what she's going to talk us through is actually her journey through photography, understanding herself, finding the confidence, her tone of voice, and subsequently going back to farm life, which is really, really exciting. And uh, I was thinking like, one thing that we talk about a lot is understanding how to grow within that space of the creativity. And because that's also a big part of what you do, obviously there's the recipe that you create, but it's also the photography and the way that you're trying to create a story with that. I was wondering, is there anything that you learned in the past year or in the past six months about your photography and how has helped you changing or improving your style? Oh gosh, what a question. I feel like when I first started, the whole focus was on food and I obviously loved that. And then I was like, oh, wait, I really need to get my photos to look good so that I know this recipe tastes really good. But how can I make people think that it tastes really good and kind of eat it through their screen kind of thing? And I think there's so many things I've learned. I've really tried to focus in on my photography and Anna Rachel's definitely an inspiration. Um, but it's definitely like evoking senses, how to do that. So how to um, make people visualize it how can they kind of smell it how can they feel like they taste it through the screen and creating 
a kind of story that goes with it and that sense of nostalgia maybe or excitement so trying to evoke emotion through a static picture which isn't always easy um but it's definitely worth it I'm going to ask you now then obviously people if you haven't checked Amy go to nourishing.amy just to check out what we're talking about but what um how long does it take you let's say people are going going, to scroll through your uh your feed and they see your post in a week how long does it take you roughly to get one shot you know with the one recipe or maybe two recipes worth done I think that's a big misconception so we'll love you to tell us a bit more I mean she's rolling her eyes already so I'm, I'm excited for this one I mean it definitely definitely change it so much like some shots you can do in half an hour like you've planned it before so it might take like an hour planning before and then the actual cooking and then half hour to shoot and then maybe I don't know some you can edit in half an hour and you're like wow love it great others these drinks I was doing the other day about two hours and I was like they're ruining and so some things just take all day and like even after that you won't be happy with it so you end up reshooting it in a couple days time so I think perseverance is also key and I hate having to do things loads and loads of times um, and I easily get put down but persistence definitely pays off. And this is why I'm excited to talk to Anna as well because she has a very interesting background you're going to love this and she really talks about also building up her confidence and opening up to where life will lead her as well and that's something that I think will resonate with anybody who is a creative like ourselves. Well, with this, all I can say is I'm really excited to not just to talk through your creative journey. Thank you for sharing some of the woes and the lessons, but also to talk through the creative journey of Anna. And this is going to be a great one, not just because of the way that she went into photography and she developed her own style and creativity, but also the confidence that she built. And there's going to be some really cool anecdotes at the very end of this episode. So without further ado, let's kick off with today's episode. Thank you so much, Amy, again. And I'll see you again next week. Bye. Hello, everyone. And hello, Anna. I am so happy to virtually have you here with me. It's a pleasure. It's it's so exciting to see you. Oh, thank you, my darling. It's like fun girling all over again. I'm loving this. Uh, where are you are right now? I know you're in the farm. I know you've been busy. I know no sheep has, has escaped today, I think. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here with me. But where exactly are you broadcasting from today? So I'm based currently in North Lincolnshire on my family's farm. Um, a little bit in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and yeah, kind of loving it. How long have you been home for then? So I came home as soon as Corona broke out, really. I, I moved to Chelmsford when Corona started before lockdown with my boyfriend and he lives in a two bed flat. And we immediately realized that with him and his brother and me, we were a bit, you know, too many people for the size of the flat. So I decided <laughs> that the farm was the best place to be, which I'm lucky I moved down here, well, up here, I should say, when I could. Um, because then lockdown came straight after that so yeah I've been on the farm ever since lockdown and I've slowly been learning all about farming I think when I was younger I didn't really learn a lot about farming because I don't know I had this preconceived notion that my dad preferred men over women to help okay. him and I've kind of learned since then that actually he doesn't care as long as he has help so that's kind of been refreshing 
Yeah, because I was going to ask you, actually, because uh, I know that you, you grew up, you know, in the farm or in a farm. So I was kind of wondering, you know, how or why you felt prompted to actually now, you know, get so hands on with it. And if it was something that you already were doing or if it's something that's slightly changed. Um, and as you said, like, it, it's a case of like, I guess it's also I believe it's also a thing with when we also age and we I find that we go back sometimes to our roots and there's a clearer understanding of what we want to do and also just the conversations when our parents change a lot. And I find that even with what happened and the lockdown and everything, um, a lot of people actually had more time to really have honest conversations and understand better their family. I don't know if it's only me, but I found that has happened a lot. Yeah, I think, I think growing up, there was, there was a weird transition in farming when I was younger because basically farmers were in a really really tricky situation where they weren't getting a lot of money for their crops and you know a lot of farms were going bust and then there was foot and mouth which was a serious incident where a lot of farmers have to kill all of their livestock and that was basically their livelihood and my parents basically persuaded us to do a different profession you know don't go into farming it's too risky you can't make a life out of it and I think looking back they slightly regret saying it because now it's, it's a lot better than it was, mainly because we've diversified. So we, we grew up with just crops and a few animals. And now mum has got the farm park. She's got the, well, she's got a cafe and a restaurant. And we've got outdoor play and we've got animal trail. And then dad has sheep and crops. And I think because we've done that, the farm is a lot more successful. But I, yeah, I was kind of forced not to get involved with it as much um, just because of the era of farming that I grew yeah. up. And to be honest though, it, it brought you to actually discover like a great talent and passion of yours as well. So realistically speaking, even if as we were recalling uh, before, uh, which I might ask you to remind me again, it actually came up all a bit by accident or by uh, chance, by universe, if you want to say that way, you know, photography almost landed on your lap. So it was a bit of a, of a stroke of luck wasn't it yes I I didn't know what I wanted to do at college I had no clue I wasn't the type of person who you know knew from a young age I was going to be a doctor or a, you know a vet I, I literally had no clue and I had quite severe dyslexia when I was younger and it took me a lot to get where a lot of hard work to get where I was at GCSE you know I finished SATs with basically zero on along the board that was it and I went into bottom set at secondary school and I, I don't know, I had quite low self-esteem and I thought I'm not ever going to make it into anything. And then, so I didn't really care where my life went because I'd, I'd not given up on myself. That sounds dramatic, but I'd, you know, I'd, I'd worked so hard to get where I was. I was like, this is hard work. So anyway, at college, we basically, <laughs> we had it on the computer, a list of university courses and we scrolled through them as a family. And I was to say stop on whichever one we landed on. And it landed on media and communications. And yeah, that's what I picked. So I ended up in Birmingham, went from living on a farm to the pretty grotty part of Birmingham, as you can say. Um, and it was quite a shock, but I, I've learned a lot, a hell of a lot. And I've learned that I am definitely more of a practical person. Um, and although I've got dyslexia and it's, it's better now, um, I work a lot better. You know, my talents are in people, they're in technology and I'm a practical human and I think the sooner you learn what your strengths are the quicker you can find life a little bit easier 
And I agree with that. And I think it's a conversation that is harder to have when it comes to then progressing it into didactics and teaching others and educating others. And again, as somebody who, uh, not actually, I, I was the opposite of you. I already knew what I was going to do. Like I've got like this little plan and every single time it changed, I knew what I was going to do next. So being quite lucky in that way. Um, but teaching was a big thing for me and I obviously I do in a different way, but I, my degree taught me how to teach as teaching languages and what you learn from that. And it's sad that you get to understand that when you are at university, only by doing this kind of course, you, t- you learn that different people learn in different ways because of the way that they can retain information. And if, as you rightfully said, there was a better understanding and a better way to allow children to express themselves and to uh, understand for themselves and to be guided to the best way for them to learn, it wouldn't be a case of this child is, um, you know, is a slower learner or this child is, is a different learner. And I think it really would help bringing a lot more confidence to a lot more people. It's something I'm quite passionate about because for me, education is key in the way of just learning something for yourself and trying something new. Um, and the only thing that I would say on that point is one thing that I think has really got people thinking has been the rise of things like podcasts, very meta right now, talking about podcasts in a podcast. Um, but people are realizing that, you know, they're actually learning so much from listening and we're not used to that as much as we weren't. So we're actually questioning, wait a second, how can I learn about trigonometry or whatever, or history even, by just listening to a podcast? And when I was in school, I could give no damn about the Romans. So, um, you know, I think that's a much wider conversation and I'm glad that you brought it up because something I'm really, really passionate about. I, yeah, and I, I think I was quite lucky in growing up in that my mum decided that the only way I was going to figure out what I wanted to do was to throw me in the deep end with multiple jobs in multiple scenarios in multiple places. So, you know, I woke up one morning and she said, oh, um, by the way, I've set something up for you. And I was like, you know, I was very bleary eyed teenager at the time, as you can imagine. And still, <laughs> you know, she's thrown the curtains open and she says, so I found something for you and it's starting next week. And I was like, great, great. Okay, um, what is it? She goes, you're going to France. I was like, okay. She goes, you're going to do a French exchange. I was like, okay. No one speaks English. Okay, all right. So so that was the kind of my childhood in a nutshell. So I, I got thrown into a lot of scenarios that I think my mum, my mum is a doer. That is the best way to explain her. And I ended up doing all the things she wanted doing, um, which was great for me in a way because... I learned so many things and I met so many people, um, but I also did so many jobs. Like the best advice I can probably give, and, and I'm, I'm still young, I'm only 27, so I haven't really lived yet. But what I've learned so far is that do as many things as you can. If somebody, if, if you find somewhere to volunteer, if you find some kind of job you can do for a week and you have no clue what you want to do in your life, do it. Learn from other people and, and they will teach you. And even if you have a terrible experience, like, some of my work experiences I've been on have been absolutely awful and horrific. And I've rang mum in the toilets being like, I need to leave. And she's like, you're sticking this out. And I'm like, I don't want to. And she's like, you're staying. And we've had <laughs> multiple times. And I think sometimes you've just got to do those, those hard things to learn and then do it better yourself. I agree. And I remember talking about farms, uh, something that I wrote in my first book. So make an impact. I wrote very briefly about my history of picking up pears two years in a row and I just wanted to because I wanted to buy myself one, once a camera and then the other year was a laptop and my mom was like you know that we could just it was nearby my birthday she was like we just buy you something or 
do what you, you know, we, you didn't have to do. And I was like, it's not a case of have to, it's a case of I wanted to, I wanted to get an experience. I wanted to get my enough of my own money to be able to afford something very nice for myself. And I said in the book, I talk a lot about how just the resilience and the stubbornness of, I don't know if you ever picked up pears, but in Italy, there's quite a lot of pear crops. It ain't fun. Is and I'm a perfectionist, but you know you have to use the little pair measurers, which are a, a device of the devil, pretty much. Um, there's so many things, and it was strenuous. And it was I was 18, 19, so I did two years. And you learn so much from that type of work ethic. It's a different type of work, and I always used to like do tutoring and stuff like that. That's what I was good at. But that threw me into the deep end. So I do agree with you. They they teach you so much, also about yourself, I think. Oh yeah, and what you can do. I've worked in a factory before and I think that was my hardest job. And I, I did it because I wanted to save up money to go traveling. And, and you could get a grand a month, which at the time was a huge amount of money for me. And I've never had a grand. And I, I had to pick up a pig pellet from a conveyor belt and I had to twist it off and I had to put it in a rack. And then I had to wait 22 seconds for the next pig pellet to come through. And I, yeah, and I used to do that all day. For a, I did it in the end. I think I did it for two months. But it was, it was so boring. And there was no radio. We used to have a radio and then the sound got too loud. So we had to turn off the radio. So you just had your own thoughts. And I remember thinking, if I can do anything, it'll be better than this. And I, and I think that's, that's what you've got to remember is that, you know, if you can almost create a goal you want to do, and then like you say, like you'll do the bad jobs to get where you want to be. Like with my photography, my freelancing, I put in the hard work like really hard work. I was working when I first went freelance at the age of 24, like I was working 14, 15 hour days, you know, and seeing no reward. And and I've said this to you before, but like in my first year, I made a 6k loss and it was really difficult. And I, and a lot of the time I was working from home in London in this little flat in Leightonstone and I was by myself most of the day. And, and I, I don't know how I found the willpower to do it, but I had a goal, you know, I knew I wanted to make this work and I knew a lot of people didn't think I could make it work and that kind of gave me that you know push to keep going uh, and actually what I wanted to ask you about that because I think that's really really powerful it's like did in any way the fact that other people were not not necessarily uh, you know they they not, not didn't want you to succeed but they were expecting you not to be able to do it will that kind of like push you even a bit harder in those moments like the fact that you know that some people were supporting you but others were like this sounds a bit too much doesn't it yeah when I rang up when I rang up my family and I, said, you know, I want to go freelance I want to do this and do that and, I, and I'm excited and I think this is what I should do a lot of them said, go into weddings, do child photography, you know, like go into something that you know works, you know makes money and you know you can do. And I just thought, I I'm not that kind of person. I can't do, I can't do what everyone else does. I have to do something outside the boundaries. And that's, I think I try and push, especially um, female boundaries. So I decided to do sports photography, which is super niche. And, you know, I, I not met any female sports photographers whilst doing my job. And I think, and it's the same with farming now, like the fact that I'm a female farmer, I've not met any, I've, I've heard of one female farmer in Lincolnshire and I read her in a magazine and I've never met her. And I think doing that kind of thing for me is really exciting to push the boundaries on, on women especially and a job that not many women have done or do. And it's so exciting. Like I used to go to, because I didn't use to photograph events, I used to photograph 
sports personalities, sports influence or gyms. And they were my three kind of umbrellas as it were. And they used to make me my money in London. And yeah, I remember going to some events and I'd be the only female photographer at like a, say we did like a kind of a CrossFit style photographing event. And, and that's kind of why I gave up events because A, it was a lot of shots. I used to take like over 2000 shots for a day and it would take me about a week and a half to edit them. And that was very boring. And B, I think being the only female there, it, it's, it's difficult because you're trying to fit into a man's world where they don't particularly want you to fit and it's very competitive. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to step away from events. I'm going to stick to my, my gyms and my portrait lifestyle shots that I do for influencers. And I'm going to get really good at this. And then I can show the world that just because I'm female, I can still work in sport because women don't have a big platform in sport. You know, like there are so many sports personalities that are incredible humans, especially females, like incredible athletes, and they don't have the platform they deserve because they haven't got the right marketing and they haven't got the right, you know, look that they need. And I got really excited going in photography because I can provide that niche and well, I can provide those photos that they need. And I think that's what makes the difference for me. I've kind of gone off tangent with the question. I do apologize. <laughs> that is the best way though to answer a question. <laughs> Just to go all the way down. And also it kind of gives us that, you know, it's kind of like it trails back to obviously what is the end goal and what's the end goal of your photography and also as you say the question was all about you know the people that were maybe trying to stray away from where you were going and like you know how you actually stuck to your own guns and like you know followed your own path in order to do what you wanted to do and this is exactly what choosing that niche choosing these people and wanting to help them for the reason that you want to help these women proves that you know, when you felt you were not fitting in the box, you decided, okay, this box is not for me. I'm going to actually create a whole new box and this box is going to be awesome. And it's going to be open up to help so many more people. And I think it's something that as a creative is really what pushes you to, as you say, boundaries, but also pushes you to go beyond yourself. We mentioned, obviously, there's nothing wrong with making the money. Obviously, it's good that, you know, you, you know we're not more in a loss. That's a good thing. <laughs> we're profitable. Yay. But it's also a case of, some days the money might not be even enough. And I think that goes back to your, your goal, right? So whatever the goal is, uh, some days, maybe even the one grand for you picking up pegs and putting them on this is not enough. So it's like when you have that bigger mission and you can see achieving it, then I think that's when you feel really you are getting somewhere. Is there anything, any person, any shoot, any moment, any campaign so far that really has kind of stuck in your head as one of those moments where you feel like you're making you know, you're starting to make waves into this field and especially within this issue of women in sports and their like marketing and, and I guess, you know, profiles as well. I think there's, there's a few people I've worked with. Um, Shalena, she's an amazing sprinter athlete and oh, I hope she's a sprinter because if I get this wrong and she hears this, that, that is terrible of me. I apologize <laughs> profusely, but she is amazing. And I photographed her for um, a my crew. It's, an app and I photographed for them and I photographed her and she's beautiful athlete and beautiful woman and I remember thinking she if she was a man she would be you know probably double the salary she would have got loads more sponsorship deals and she does do it full-time um and she has been to the Olympics but I think 
you know, her, her opportunities aren't the same as a man. And I photographed her and I really, really enjoyed it. And then I looked at her Instagram after and she, you know, she had within a thousand followers and I was thinking she should be in a hundred thousand, you know, for what she is and what she does. And I think that was the moment where I thought I photographed her. I've given her every benefit I possibly can, you know, to promote herself. And I think from then on, I just, that's where I found women more excitable to photograph because I can give them that platform. And I think she was almost my turnaround. She was my moment of realization that I can do good. And there's been lots of moments, I think, recently where I've been on the farm and I've been photographing and mom is a lot of, well, mom and a lot of other people, mom is basically my you know business guru and she runs a very successful um, farm park. And this is also on the farm and, and yeah, a cafe and restaurant. And she's very good at it. And I think she said, don't give up your photography because I've, because I've been leaning so much into farming and really enjoying it and doing it with my dad. And she said, don't give up the photography side of it because you've got a talent. And I'm, and I think I've, I've only got a talent because my passion, as you said, it's not all about money, really, but my passion is in people and making the world a better place, mainly for females to be in. And it, you've got to push those boundaries and you've got to, you know, do something out of your comfort zone sometimes to make that happen. And, you know, I remember some of my first shoots I went on by myself I was physically shaking before I went on the shoot because I was so nervous that, I, you know, they paid me their actual money from their actual bank accounts and it was going to go into my bank account. And if I messed it up, then that was all on me. There was no boss. There was no one else to blame. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is so scary. And I could, I could bugger it all up. I could literally, my camera could run out of battery. I could drop it on the floor. I didn't even know what was going to happen. So I think, You've just got to do it and do the scary stuff. And then that's how you start making waves and changes. I want to ask you one more thing about, um, obviously, the, the transition, as you say, like, you know, you're now getting more and more into farming again. You love working with your dad. You're working at the farm. But obviously, your mum suggested, rightfully, uh, to, you know, keep, you know, keep the photography as the outlet that you can use as well. How do you envision this? I know that right now we are still in a position of, a bit of uncertainty about everything, obviously. But how would you envision that potentially be for you based on what you learned, what you're doing, and obviously what you want to do with your photography? Is there anything that is coming up to your head? Is like, this is what I would like to do next? I've had a few thoughts um, because because I've always been... So actually, me and mum, we, we, we have a bike ride every other day or we run or we bike ride every other day. She's getting into fitness and it's just wonderful. And we had a few thoughts on our bike ride because... Whenever we set up on a ride, I always bring up a topic, whether it's feminism or, I don't know, the economy, or it's always quite serious for 7am in the morning, but I love it. And today's topic of conversation was um, PPE equipment. And I think I have a platform that I've, I can, again, like sport, female sports photography, I can help push. And a few things we were thinking about is, is, is there a way, because at the moment there are a lot of grants from the government about how they can give um, normal people money to help us become a better country environmentally. And the thing that worries me at the moment is in hospitals, there are a lot of equipment. So like um, the biggest thing I think is scissors. So they have single use scissors and that just blows my mind. They used to have actual scissors, which they would then sterilize and reuse again. And I think we've lost 
in, in our culture in general, we've lost quite a lot of that, you know, use for something more than once. Like masks, for example. When I see people with single-use masks, I just, it kills me inside because, you know, unless you're a doctor or you're working in a profession, you can make or buy a mask and you can pop it in the washing machine and use it again. And I think a lot of my photography nowadays, yes, I'm still shooting females in sport and I'm definitely still enjoying that. But since being on the farm and since experiencing the amount of waste we get um, dropped off here and things like that, I think I want to use my photography for good environmental reasons. So if I can find a way to help push less single use in hospitals through it, or if I can find a way to help show how our animals on the farm get affected by, you know, fly tipping or just general plastic that like we found a, a balloon in a cow the other day, like he was chewing on a little balloon. And I think stuff like that really gets me. And it's, I don't want to do the blame game. That's no fun for anyone, but I just want to educate. Like we said earlier, education is so much power and so many people can really thrive from it. And I just want to educate people through my photography or through my videography on how we can ourselves make the world a little bit of a better place. Why do you think that's, sorry, I know that's a troll question from that, but how do you think visual, and there's many photography, but also video, visual and video, how do you think and why do you think they're so powerful when it comes to education? To me, what stems to mind is that it's no education through preaching as much. A lot of it is more education through stories and for sometimes just like a very simple snapshot that kind of makes you stop. But obviously as a photographer, what is your take on that? Because obviously you're talking about education through a photo or a video. That's quite massive. And I know you can do it because I know you. But I'm still saying like for some people it might be hard to picture how you can do that simply with your camera. So I remember the first time I went to Wildlife Photographer of the Year and it was the year when it was quite a controversial winner. And it was a it was a um, seahorse with a uh, I think it was like an ear pick or something, I can't remember the name of it, in his um, little curl. And I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, you know, that's, they've, they've not used any words. They've not said anything. They've just shown a picture and it's, I know this is cheesy, but it's spoken a thousand words, say. And I remember thinking, wow, it just stopped me. And I just thought, I could do that. You know, I could do that picture. But I think the issue with pictures like that is that it, it, makes the person feel bad and then they're like oh I'm, I'm not I can't do anything I'm not going to do anything because they just feel too awful about it whereas I like to encourage people in my photography so that's why I use a lot of color and that's why I emphasize happiness in my photography last but not least I have a question that I ask everyone so you're going to get it asked too if you could have brunch brunch because we're still because <laughs> we're still Londoners at heart both of us. I'm not in London anymore, but we're still Londoners. Um, if you could have brunch with anyone, dead or alive, who knows, who would that person be? Or people? That's hard. That's really hard. My, I, I do differ with who I pick, and it probably changes monthly. Um, but I think uh, the most exciting person for me, and this isn't necessarily environmentally, I think there would be people I would choose environmentally who I would like to really chew their ear off about the current situation because I, I've got a lot of questions. But I think for, and we were talking earlier the other day about imposter syndrome and 
how it really affected me in my photography in the early days and still does a bit now. And I think the one person who I envision has never had imposter syndrome, well, in my head, she's never had imposter syndrome. And that's Michelle Obama, because I think she's just, I watched her documentary recently and she's just striving for women power and empowerment and education. And, and that's so exciting. And she just, she just speaks volumes, I think, in her, in the way she stands, in the way she, you know, oozes confidence. And I think I would love to know her mindset on the whole situation and life and how, and her, I've read her book and her background. She had quite a harsh upbringing and how she just, she doesn't get that imposter syndrome by the looks of it. I mean, she might a hundred percent. I won't know until we have brunch, but like, <laughs> imagine that she doesn't. And I think for a lot of women, imposter syndrome is a really hard thing to get over. And actually, I didn't realize at the time I had it. So I was, I was telling you the other day about this photographer who, you know, he, he was photographing at the same gym I was. And I looked at his photos after he'd taken them. And I remember thinking, I can never be that good. What am I even doing in this industry? And at the time, I just, I just played the blame game. But actually looking back now, I look at my images and I'm like, they're good. Like you've taken good images. Like, you know, give yourself some credit. And a lot of women don't. They don't give themselves that credit they deserve. And I think sometimes you've just got to step back, which is what I should have done, and been like, yeah, that was good. You did good. Like, give yourself a pat on the back. You know, that women need to do that more. Yeah, we need to tell our We need to celebrate the things that we did, that we know that made us proud. Because we tend to brush it. It's like, hey, it's nothing. Because I know it's not nothing. That was bloody good. I like that. Would you have Michelle at your mum's cafe then, or restaurant? Oh, yeah, she'd love it. Yeah, we, actually, a funny story. Um, my mum is the most determined woman you'll probably ever meet. And she basically decided one day when I was about 13, we sat around, the, again, a lot happens around this dinner table. We sat around the dinner table and she said, Prince Charles is going to come and visit. And we all laughed, as you do. And we thought, mum, that's not going to happen. She went, no, no, Prince Charles will come and visit this farm. I've decided. We were organic at the time because mm-hmm. that's why our diversifications we're not anymore, but at the time is what we needed to do. And I've also, like you pick pears, I've picked weeds by hand from a field. It's, it's pretty difficult. Anyway, she decided this. And every six months, she would rewrite a letter to Elizabeth, his secretary, and say, you know, we've got an organic farm. We'd love Prince Charles to come and visit. We just set up the farm shop at the time. You know, we'd love him to come visit. Anyway, Charlie boy, every time we got a rejection letter from Elizabeth, and every six months, mum would resend a letter and just give her a call and be like, oh, Elizabeth, just check me, you've got my letter. And she'd say, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll ask Charles. Anyway, the same. This was about three years this happened, every six months. And mum would, would come in the kitchen and be like, oh, another rejection letter from Charlie boy. And we'd go, oh, you know, bloody Charlie boy. Anyway, after the third year, Charles wrote back and said, yeah, we'll come to the farm. We've got an afternoon in Lincolnshire. We'll come visit your farm. And, well, mum was so excited. Anyway, we all had to put on our best clothes, which at the time was, I think, second-hand gap that I found in a cupboard somewhere that had been worn by my brother and some old wellies that only had one hole in, not nine, which is very exciting. Anyway, so <laughs> Charles turned up and he had dinner, uh, dinner, no, lunch at our kitchen table and we all talked about farming and I got him to sign my autobiography book and it was very exciting. 
And then afterwards, he stood by this wall and it was an old building. So our, our farm is about, it's been in our family for three generations. And there's a wall outside that's an old shed and it's, it's sort of an arc now because it was caving at the time and basically about to fall over. And dad said, whatever you do, don't let Charlie boy stand underneath that wall because we might kill the future prince of England, well, the future king of England. So we all agreed that we didn't want to kill him. You know, don't let him stand by that wall. Anyway, dad went away for one second. Mom led him outside and started showing Charles this wall. So future king of England stood beside this bowing wall. You know, you literally see the future of the UK flash before your eyes. Anyway, he was stood by this wall and his dad, mum, oh, sorry, mum at the time was touching it and showing him all around. And dad came out and luckily saw him and ushered him by. Anyway, the next day the wall fell down. So it could have actually been really serious. <laughs> but I, think, I think that just shows, like, obviously we didn't kill him. He came visit the farm. He had a wonderful time. We've got, we got pictures in the press, which is super exciting. Um, I think it just shows that determination can get you anywhere. I love it. And you didn't kill Charlie Boy. That's an absolute thing. Take away then. My love, thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, it was a crack. And um, I hope you stay well, I hope you stay safe, and I hope to visit the farm soon as well. Oh, 100%. Come see. I've got Timmy the lamb. You'll love him. Thank you for having me as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode. If you loved it, please take some time to give us five stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your ha-has and takeaways on Instagram at Creative Impact Co. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group.